0: And currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 16, verses 7 through 16. Hagar has left. She's run away. And that's where we enter into then the study for today. Would somebody mind reading? Let's start off with verses 7, 8, 9, and 10.
1: The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring of the water to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for
0: multitude. Excellent. Thank you, Steve. So here we are. Sarai is running away. She's fled into the desert. She's, it looks like on her way back to Egypt by the route that she's taking. This place, the land of Ashur, is uh, on the way. It's basically as far south as you can go in the land of Canaan before exiting Canaan and entering into uh, the realm of Egypt there, the greater realm of Egypt. So she's gone a long distance, and she ends up meeting a character, a figure here, that we're introduced to in verse 7. Who is that? What's the phrase used to describe this person or persona? the angel of the lord thank you the angel of the lord the angel of the lord this is the first time the word angel comes up in the bible and it's the first time this phrase comes up the angel of the lord it's a phrase that ends up being used 58 times in the old testament and then a similar phrase which is the angel of god appears another 11 times so who is this angel of the lord or the angel of god there are a couple possibilities uh, but let's look at a couple of those 58 verses and see if we can uh, get some more information here. I've listed these on the board behind me. uh, We're looking at, first of all, in this passage, verses 7 and 8, which were introduced to the angel of the Lord. But in verse 13, we're we're given some additional information regarding this character that Hagar ends up meeting. What does it say in verse 13? Somebody mind reading verse 13?
1: Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also... Here, seeing him who sees me.
0: So as we're looking through this passage, the only one that speaks to her is the angel of the Lord, introduced in verse 7. But here down in verse 13, she equates that angel of the Lord character as being who in verse 13? God. God. Yeah, the yeah. Lord. It's God. That's the correlation we have here. It's not two different entities showing up. It's one, and she calls this person or this persona God. <laughs> How about the next one up here? How about Genesis chapter 22, verses 11 and 12? Let's all go there. Genesis 22, verses 11 and 12. Somebody mind reading these verses, these two verses?
2: But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Twelve as well? And Twelve as well, thank you. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Levett. So here in this passage, this is that classic passage where Abraham offers up his son Isaac in response and in obedience to the command that God had given him. And so here we have, this is that pivotal moment when, that, when the knife is, is ready to be plunged into his son in obedience to God. And in verse 11, who intervenes? The angel of the Lord, the of the Lord intervenes. Yet in the very next verse, the angel of the Lord is equated with God himself. The angel of the Lord equated with God himself there in verse 12. How about the next passage? Go to Genesis 31. Genesis 31, 11 and 13. Somebody might reading 31, 11.
1: Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said,
0: here I am. So this is Jacob describing a dream that he had where the angel of the Lord appeared to him or the angel of God appeared to him. In verse 13... What does the angel of God say to him as far as identity in verse 13?
1: I'm the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Dave. So here we have an equation again with the angel of God in verse 11 with God in verse 13. How about the next passage? What are we looking at now? Exodus chapter 3, another famous passage. Exodus 3, this is the burning bush passage. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Somebody might reading 1 and 2.
2: Okay, now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to them in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Lavette So who's in the bush, according to verse 2? The angel of the Lord. Exactly right. How about verse 4 now? Jump down to verse 4. Somebody mind reading that. The angel of the Lord being equated with who? We're going to find out here in verse 4. Somebody mind reading verse 4.
1: So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look... God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So here we have who's in the bush in verse 4? God. It's the angel of the Lord in verse 2, equated with God in verse 4. You'll see I also have verse 14 up there in parentheses. We're going to come back to that one later. Actually, let's read it just so we're familiar with it. This is a response given by the entity that's in the bush. When Moses says, okay, you want me to go into Egypt? You want me to deliver these people? You're going you're to be with me? Who do I say sent me? Who are you? How are you known by? So what's he? What's the response? Given in verse 14, somebody mind reading that.
1: God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am who sent me to you.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So from the bush, we have the angel of the Lord, verse 2. Verse 4, we find out it's God. And then identifying himself as I am in verse 14. All right, let's look also at Judges. Judges is the seventh book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Judges chapter 6. Somebody mind reading verses 11 and 12. This cracks me up when I'm just thinking about it. You'll see why.
1: Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, "The
0: Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor." Excellent. Thank you, Steve. This cracks me up because here's Gideon. He's hiding. He's hiding in a wine press because there are gangs that are going through the land that destroy crops and destroy houses and kill people, and it's their enemies. And basically, he's hiding from the gangs uh, and And he's called, oh, mighty man of valor. (laughs) Right? And it's as if the angel's kicking back under the shade of a tree. I don't know. I picture him eating sunflower seeds and spitting them out. (laughs) Finally, just calls him out and says, oh, mighty man of valor. I wonder if he said it with some sarcasm on his lips or something. But here we have the angel of the Lord introduced to us in this passage, verses 11 and 12. So the entity under the tree is the angel of the Lord. But how about verse 14? Let's see who it's equated with in verse 14. Somebody mind reading that?
1: Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites.
0: Have I not sent you? Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. So here we have the angel of the Lord once again in verses eleven and twelve being equated with the Lord in verse fourteen. You also see the Lord in verse sixteen. And then in verse twenty two, you got all kinds of richness in there in verse twenty two and twenty-three. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. In verse 23, then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. So another place where the angel of the Lord is equated with God. Let's look over now at 2 Samuel 24, 16. So we're in Judges, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then 1 and 2 Samuel. And we'll go to 2 Samuel 24, 16. Somebody mind reading this.
1: And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of
2: uh,
0: Harunah the Jebusite. <laughs> yeah, that's a tricky one. I, sorry, I didn't mean to inflict you <laughs> with that. <laughs> All right, so we have the angel of the Lord mentioned in the end of the verse, referring to also the angel that's mentioned at the beginning of the verse and the angel in the middle of the verse what is the angel doing in this verse he's destroying jerusalem yeah david was given a, a choice you ever heard of a hobson's choice a hobson's choice is a choice that's not a good choice no matter which choice you make it's a bad choice and it's because david's sin and god says you have three choices here and it's going to be bad in this one, and bad in this one, and bad in this one. And this is a punishment for sin. And basically, he makes his choice, and the angel's going through, and he's killing people throughout Jerusalem. And then, if you notice there, when the angel of the Lord stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel. So here's an interesting passage, where the Lord is not equated with the angel of the Lord. The Lord is separate from the angel of the Lord. you see that? But it,
1: In verse 16 in my book, Version it's capitalized his so and when the angel stretched out his capitalized hand.
0: Okay, so it still has in your translation. Your your committee and yours isn't good. I like how this is going. All right, so what you're seeing there in this example where yours is not capitalized and yours is capitalized, your translation committees had to make a choice. Are we going to try to be consistent with the way we're translating the rest of the Bible? And in your passage, they'll capitalize places where they think it's describing God. And so in this place, they gave it a capital because they're like, are we going to identify this angel as being supreme, as a supreme deity? Is this God? Is this uh, on, on par with God? Or is it something less than that? And Ron, yours may have capitals in other places and not there. Right. in saying that that committee decided, no, we're going we're to make it a lower case. And in doing so, they're saying, we believe it's an angel. So, your committee believes an angel, where your committee believes an angel on par with God. All right? Interesting. Interesting how that happens. Ooh, a death angel. Ooh. Death <laughs> angel. Ooh. <laughs> Interesting, right? It's the Star Wars so, we're like, okay, so we're running into some problems with this one. This one's like a little speed bump thing going on. A <laughs> death angel from the Death Star. <laughs> so, let's go to Zechariah. Zechariah 112. Zechariah is near the very end of your Old Testament. If you go to the end of your Old Testament and then you flip back a few pages, you're going to run into Malachi, and then if you go before Malachi, you'll hit Zechariah. Zechariah chapter one verse twelve. What does it say over there?
1: And the angel of the Lord answered and said, "O Lord of hosts, how long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judea, against which you were
0: angry for seventy years?" Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So, who is speaking in this passage? The, the angel of the Lord. To whom is the angel of the Lord speaking? To the Lord of hosts, yeah, to the Lord. So here we have another passage where the angel of the Lord is not the same as the Lord God or the Lord of hosts. Hmm. All right, what's the next one? Exodus 23. Go back again to the second book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Exodus 23, verses 20 and 21. This one's kind of a strange passage. Let's see what we can pull out of this one. Exodus chapter 23. Verses twenty and twenty-one. Somebody mind reading these?
1: Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him.
0: Thank you, Steve. Uh, don't you love that radio voice? <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah. you should do it. I like that. <laughs> I, I think you've been moonlighting and you haven't been telling us what you've been doing or something. All right, verses 20 and 21. Who is speaking here? Yep. Yeah, it's God. God is speaking to Moses. He's given Moses instructions to give to the people. In those instructions, he says, I am sending, or I send, an angel. How many of your translations have a capital A there for angel? Two, three, and then I got some no's, and then another hand for yes. All right, so here your translation committees, once again, revealing the position that they had to take. You know, they had to to make a choice. If we're going to capitalize every place we think that it's an angel on par with God, we're going to capitalize it. And so here they make that decision. Other translation committees decided not to do that. Or they don't do it at all through the rest of uh, of the translation. So here we have God speaking. He says, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way, to bring you into the place which I have prepared for you. Okay, I can see that. That could be an angel. It could be a normal angel so far. Verse 21, beware of him. Ooh, he must be an important one. All right. Beware of him. Obey his voice. Okay, that's kind of interesting. It's kind of heightened the status of this angel somewhat. Obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions. He will not pardon. So this angel has the ability to forgive sins or to withhold forgiveness for sins. You know what? I seem to remember somebody else saying in the New Testament, who can forgive sins but God alone? That seems to have been something that was said actually by the Pharisees and the scribes when Jesus... If you remember the story, there were four guys, and they had a friend, and the friend was a paralytic, and he was it was on a mat, and they couldn't get into the house where Jesus was because it was so crowded. So what'd they do? They end up going up onto the roof and pulling away the roof tiles and making a hole in the roof and lower this guy down on his stretcher in front of Jesus. And what does Jesus say? You're healed? No. He says, your sins are forgiven. That's weird. Why would he say that? And the scribes and Pharisees, by the way, didn't like that at all. And they start whispering among themselves, who can forgive sins but God alone? This guy speaks blasphemy. And Jesus, knowing the thoughts of their hearts, ends up saying to them, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Because really, I mean, if an impostor said that, how would you know? Right? If an impostor said that, you wouldn't be able to know one way or the other. He says, I could get away with saying that, and you wouldn't know any difference about me. But what does he do? He takes it to the next level, and he says, but so that you will know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, and he turns to that guy, I say to you, get up and go to your house. And the paralytic stands hands up, and he takes his bed and he goes to his house. Oh, we've seen amazing things today, all right? So the angel of the Lord in this passage here has the ability to forgive sins or to withhold forgiveness of sins. Who can do that but God alone? The Pharisees and the scribes are right in that regard. They were right that only God can forgive sins, all right? So far, we'll see that in a little bit. All right, so where are we so far? We're at Exodus 23, verses 20 and 21, but there's something else in this passage. It says in verse 21, Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. My name is in him. This is, this. It's even now, making the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Because God says, you see I've got up here with Isaiah two eight. Isaiah 42.8 says this. It says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another. God does not share his name with an angel. So, this angel is something special. All right, so what do we got? We got three possibilities here. Number one, one possibility is who's the angel, Lord? It could be just an angel, just your run of the mill angel. All right? Or it could be God himself. Or it could be, I'm going to call it the Logos. Okay? Turn to John. John chapter 1. In fact, I've got here three more passages. We're going to put the first passage right here. John chapter one. John chapter one, and we're going to look at verses one through five. We're going to see who the logos is. If you don't, if you haven't met the logos yet, this is a, this is a big passage right here. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Some of you, once we get there and you start reading, you go, "Oh, I've seen this before. I know what this is." John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was the Word. Logos is a Greek word meaning word. Somebody want to read verses 1 through 5.
2: In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend
0: it. Excellent. Thank you, Lavette. So in that very
2: first verse,
0: is the Logos God? What does it say there? What's the wording? In
2: the beginning was the Word.
0: In the beginning was the Word. Okay. And what's the next phrase? The Word was with God. The Word was with God. So the Logos is not God, because the Logos is with God. Am I right or am I wrong? What's the next mm-hmm. phrase? Oh, I'm so confused. <laughs> All right. So here we have something. We have a logos. I don't know what it is right so far. Here's the logos. It's in the beginning. So it's something that's pre existing before the time of the author of this book, right? So John, the author of the book, is saying way back, way back as far as you can go, there's this thing, the logos is the word. Way back in the day, there's the word. And the word was with God. That's really weird. Whatever this is, it's something that existed with God. And it's what equated with God. The Logos is with God, and the Logos was God. That's really weird. How about verses 14 through 18? What does it say over there? <laughs> Let's see what further happens with this Logos thing, whatever this might be, or whoever this might be. What does it say in, verses, in verse 14? Somebody might read that.
1: And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen
0: his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we got this Logos thing becomes flesh and dwelt among us? Like it became a man? Like it became a person? The Logos, the Word, the thing that existed before time with God and was God, ends up taking upon himself human flesh and becoming some being that lives among us? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verses 15. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He comes after me as preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We now have a name. This Logos that existed before the author's time, before John's time in writing this, way back in the time of God, at, as far back as you can go, and he's there with God, and he is God, is now given an identity. It's Jesus Christ. The Logos is Jesus Christ. And then going to verse 18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So, okay, wait a minute. So, the three possibilities as to who the angel of the Lord are, can it be a normal angel? No. It can't be a normal angel. And the reason why is because if you look at some of these passages, number well, for one of them, because the angel of the Lord can forgive sins. The angel of the Lord bears God's name. The angel of the Lord, if you look at the Gideon passage, receives an offering. Angels are not allowed to receive worship and offerings. All right, It's something other than a normal angel. Could it be God himself? Well, we know from this passage as well as the other one, no man sees God and, and lives. So we have these passages that suggest, yes, it is God. The angel of the Lord is the same as God, but we have these passages that suggest, well but it seems to be something different. It is God, but it's not. Almost like it's with God, but was God In a sense hmm. That's interesting So we're kind of down to the logos Which we have as an identity Given to us as Jesus Christ Let's look up a few other things Could it be Jesus? Could Jesus be the angel of the Lord? What is an angel? In Hebrew, the Hebrew word for angel is Malak, M-A-L-A-K I guess is the English transliteration If you were to spell it out in English In, uh, in Greek it's Angelos Okay Both of those words mean the same thing. It means a messenger. And in the context we're using it here, it's a supernatural messenger, right? It's a supernatural messenger sent by God. A supernatural messenger sent by God. Hmm. Uh, I've got here the phrase, sent me. Just those two words. Sent me in quotation marks. Sent me in quotation marks. Done a search just in the book of John. All right, I'm going to spare you a little bit longer study. (laughs) All right, just in the book of John, I want you to hear, these are just the words of Jesus. All of these are words of Jesus. Jesus says in chapter 4, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. What's an angel? It's one sent by God. It's a special messenger sent by God. Here Jesus identifies himself as a special messenger sent by God. In chapter 5, verse 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Jesus, again, identifying himself as sent by God. How about 536? But I have greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Verse 37, and the Father himself who sent me. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me. Verse 40, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Chapter 6, verse 57, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Jesus is identifying himself as the special messenger sent by God par excellence. All right, you're getting that? If an angel is once sent by God, this guy's really sent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. What else do we have? Chapter 7, verse 16, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me verse 28 him who sent me is true whom you do not know verse 29 but i know him for i am from him and he sent me verse 33 i shall be with you a little while longer and then i go to him who sent me chapter 8 verse 16 i am not alone but i am with the father who sent me i am the one who bears witness of myself and the father who sent me in verse 18 Verse 26 of chapter 8. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he... Okay, am I beating a dead horse here? <laughs> I can keep going, but I'm going to spare you. There's thirty-four. Di- there's 35 times when the word sent me is in, in the book of John. 34 of those are on Jesus' own lips, describing himself as sent by God. All right? It seems we have a good candidate for who the angel of the Lord is. But I tell you what, there isn't a passage that you can go to where Jesus clearly says, I am the angel of the Lord. He doesn't say that. Jesus never comes out and says, I am the angel of the Lord. But there is an interesting passage I do want to direct you to. How about chapter 8, verse 58 of John? John 8, 58. While you're turning this passage, who was in the bush? Who was in the burning bush? I am. I am was in the burning bush. Ooh, good job. (laughs) That's right here. That's verse 14 in parentheses. The I am is in the burning bush. What does John, chapter 8, verse 58 say? These are the words of Jesus. Somebody mind reading that?
1: Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am.
0: If you're not familiar with this passage, it's a really tense situation that's being described. Jesus is in a verbal dispute with the religious experts of the day. And he makes a statement that says, basically, I existed before Abraham did. And they said, what? What? You're not even 50 years old, and you're going to say that you existed before Abraham did? They're getting riled up right now. They're getting a little upset because Jesus is treading on a fine line where he's almost blaspheming. Okay? And they're trying to examine, is he blaspheming right now or not? And Jesus has a chance now to back away, and he doesn't. He pushes the fight forward. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. Who was in the burning bush? I am, as in the burning bush. Jesus is identifying himself with the same phrase, the same words that were used to describe. When Moses says, Who am I going to say that sent me? I am. Oh, do you think they misunderstood? Yeah, I mean, maybe nowadays, 2,000 years later, we look at this verse and we go, You know what? That's not what Jesus was saying. He was not identifying himself with God, he's not identifying himself with the one that was in the burning bush. I mean, surely this is a mistake that we've added onto the text 2,000 years later you think we're mistaken or the Pharisees what's it? What's the response of the Pharisees what do they do Mm -hmm. they pick up stones to stone him stoning is punishment for blasphemy they get it they all say he's crossed the line he's definitely blasphemed and they're ready to kill him for that and he blends away he disappears into the crowd into the temple area he ends up identifying himself as the same phrase that would be used by the deity that's in the burning bush he never clearly says I am the angel of the Lord but he does say, I am. And that conjures up in their minds a clear aligning himself with the identity of the figure that's in the burning bush. God himself. God himself in the form of logos. All right? But wait a minute, but this is also confusing because here we have the merging of God himself and the angel of the Lord as being one, but here we have this like separation where it's not quite one. It's as if these are all one and the same and these are different. One more passage for you then. Chapter 10, verse 30. Here's our third passage. So, three more related passages John 1, 1 through 5, 14 through 18, and then John chapter 8, verses 58, we just looked at. How about John chapter 10, verse 30? And as you're turning to John chapter 10, verse 30, how do we reconcile this? Yeah, they're one and the same, but they're not. One and the same, but they're not. One and the same, but they're not. What does it say there on the lips of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 30? What does he say? I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. I and the Father, too, are one. They're the same, but they're not. He seems to fulfill that that angel of the Lord back in the Old Testament, that could be Jesus showing up before he took upon himself flesh. All right, moving on from there. All this talk about angels, though, we've got to do something real quick. In talking about angels, Steve, if you could go ahead and and take that up. I wanted to commemorate this study a little bit today. Somebody's going to draw a name, and whoever ends up getting their name drawn is going to end up winning uh, two tickets to the Angels game tonight. So if you want to go to the Angels game, that's a way to remember this study today, all right? If you win and you don't have a chance to go to the game tonight, just pass it on to somebody else. Bless somebody else. Pick it forward or whatever they say. All right, who wants to pick? Actually, you want to pick? All right, Peter. Guest of honor is going to pick. All right, here we go. Who's going to the Angel game tonight? Sherry. Yay! Sherry, all right. There you go, Sherry. Two tickets. Tonight. Awesome, I to go tonight too. <laughs> oh, perfect. All right, praise God. Nice. <laughs> my dad's in town. I'll take my dad. That's awesome. That's good stuff. <sighs> good stuff. Alright, go back to Genesis. We're going to try to wrap up this section here. We've only gotten one phrase of the first verse of the entire section that we're going to look at, but we're going to move fast on the rest of it. Genesis chapter 16. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shura, and he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. You know what? God notices when people are mistreated. God notices when people are mistreated. Here we have a situation where that's actually the case. Moving on from that. So the angel lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. In this phrase right here, in this instruction that God gives her, what are the two verbs? Submit, go, and submit. Submit is one of them. Return. And return. Sometimes God has hard words for us. Sometimes God's hard word is return and submit you know what i'm not going to say that's the case all the time but if you're a sarah and you're in her situation that's not a word you want to hear but you know what god's assuring her he's got his eye on her he's watching he's paying attention her misery hasn't escaped his notice and he's going to supernaturally protect her he's already going to you're going to find out he's predicting her future in a sense he's telling her her future he's basically saying i got this and so sometimes when god would say to us return and submit Maybe we should also take confidence in knowing it out of this pattern anyway that God says, I see. And I got this. All right, return and submit yourself under her hand. Verse 10. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. This is the first time in the Bible where a woman is receiving a promise from God of descendants. And it's given to an outsider, not an insider, at least from the perspective of the heroes of the Bible, if you will. This is Hagar. She's a foreigner, she's a slave, she's a runaway. And that's who it's given to first. Hagar's the only woman in Genesis who's honored with such a revelation. Verse 11, and the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which means God has heard because the Lord has heard your affliction. So here we have an outsider, a foreigner, a runaway, a slave, a woman. Back in that day, that meant something. Nowadays, you know, if if you understand the teaching of the Bible, You understand that God's estimation of women is much higher than it was practiced back then, okay? But back then, in the eyes of the people who would be reading, oh, she's a woman, all right? Like, that disqualifies her along with everything else. Mm -hmm. She's a woman, she's a foreigner, she's a slave, she's been mistreated, she's been abused, and God hears her affliction, God hears her cries, God hears her misery. Maybe we could take courage that God would hear ours as well. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: She's outside the group, why would anybody listen to her? Aren't we all outside? All of us, by our sins, have disqualified ourselves from heaven. We can't earn our way to God. It's by His gift given to us, the graciousness He gave in pouring out His blood in place of ours. We're all outsiders. Hagar's harsh treatment by Sarah has not gone unobserved by God. And God sees unfairness and mistreatment and doesn't escape His notice. Okay. Verse 12 He shall be a wild man, his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. New King James Bible uh, study note says this, His hand, this suggests that his descendants would often be at war. Still, this people would endure. They would dwell in the presence of all his brethren. This has indeed been the case, for Ishmael's descendants are the Arab peoples who populate most of the Middle East today. Very few of the peoples of the Old Testament world have survived to our own day. For example, all ten nations of chapter 15, verses 19 through 21 have ceased to exist, but two people survived. Israel, the Jewish people, descended from Isaac, and the Arabs descended from Ishmael. Verse 13, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? You know what she's doing here? She's giving a name to God. Victor Hamilton says, Hagar actually confers on in a name. No other character in the Old Testament, male or female, does that. It is not unusual for mortals to give names to family members or to animals, to sacred sites, but never to one's God with the exception of Hagar. Verse 14, therefore the well was called Beir Lahai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. The translation of that, it's either the well belonging to the clan of Roy or some of your Bible notes will have a little footnote that'll say the well belonging to the living one who sees me. You know what's interesting? It's one thing to see God and she doesn't name the well the God that I've seen. She names the well the God who has seen me. It's amazing to think that she may have seen God, the pre-incarnate version in Christ, in Jesus, coming down and making an appearance. That would be amazing. But what's even more amazing to her is that not that she saw God, but that God saw her. She was more impressed that God saw her than she saw God. And then verse 15, So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. And by doing so, he's basically acknowledging that God met her. That God's instructions to her, He took as His own instructions to name the boy Ishmael. You notice it was God that named him, not Abram. A- not Abram. This verse says that Abram named him Ishmael, but God said that was going to be the case because God picked the name out. All right. Abram is acknowledging God's plan over Hagar. Abram is acknowledging God's plan over Ishmael, and Abram is accepting this as part of what God's working out in His own life. And we're going to find out he even comes to the point where he believes this is that promised son. We're going to see that as we move on into the future chapters. And then finally in verse 16, he was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. It's 11 years now since they've entered into the land. All right, let's close in prayer so everybody can get back. Sorry, that was fast. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the depth and the richness that we have available to us in your word. We thank you, Lord. We can pour ourselves into careers. We can pour ourselves into hobbies and pastimes. And we can come to a point where we can really say that uh, we've we've learned all there is to know. But Lord, when it comes to your word, we're never able to be able to say that. Your word has a depth of riches that we will never be disappointed to find that we've reached the end of it. We thank you, God, uh, that you speak to us. In former times you spoke through the prophets, but now you speak to us through your Son, through the Word, through the Logos, through this written Word we hold in our hands, and we are appreciative of that, that great gift you've given us. Go with us now. Help us, Lord, to be salt and light in a world that needs some flavor and in a world that's growing dark.
2: Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.